Ladies and gentlemen, rev up your engines and get ready for the deal of a lifetime. Jim K. Ford is proud to announce the 2023 Ford F-150 clear-out sale, the event you've been waiting for. For a limited time only, Jim K. Ford is offering unbeatable discounts, jaw-dropping financing options, and mind-blowing trade-in deals. Don't miss out on the 2023 Ford F-150 clear-out sale at Jim K. Ford, 1438 Uville Drive in Orleans, or jimkford.com. At Jim K. Ford Lincoln, we say yes! Ford Sends Nation podcast with Steve Warren and the coach, Greg Kennedy. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another program coming up today. The Sends make another coaching change. Is Jacob Chikrin going to be Alex Debrinkit 2.0? Mad Sogard makes his season debut. Hey, what's with all the blown leads? Ridley Gregg playing with Kachuk and Giroux and looking very at home in that role and much more here in the program, including... A visit from a uh, bright new author that we like to call Howie Mooney. He's uh, got a new book out, and uh, Howie's going to jump on. Big Sens fan as well, so he'll have some Sens takes for us as well. But we'll talk to him uh, closer to the end of the program. Greg, how are you today? I am good, Steve. I'm looking forward to talking to Howie, actually. We've both known Howie a long time. I'm looking forward to having a conversation with him. And, uh, yeah, I liked your headlines, pal. I'm particularly intrigued by this Jacob Chikrin. Is he Alex Dabrinkit 2.0? That's starting to look like it may be a possibility, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's a possibility for sure. It's uh, it's hard to know, though. I mean, it's there's a lot of rumor and speculation out there right now because the deadline is a couple of months away. You got Bruce Garriock with an article out there about the Sens fielding trade offers for Chikrin, and they're apparently going to check with his agent, Andy Scott, about what he's going to want in his next deal. And like I say, some other speculation out there on social media that, you know, maybe the, well, the, the excitement that Chikrin had to be in Ottawa has faded a bit, that maybe he won't resign here because of that. I do think he's probably discouraged right now, but I think everybody in that locker room is. Um, and I, I think back to October, I interviewed Chikrin, sat down with him one-on-one for about an hour at the Hard Rock Cafe. It was a cover feature for Faces Magazine, and he was over the moon, happy about being in Ottawa And I can't believe that he's bailed on that in less than 40 games of hockey. I think he's unhappy again, but I think everyone is right now. And if things don't improve for the team, sure, there could eventually be a Debrinket 2.0. But I still think that's a long way off for us to be talking about it. And if it comes down to a money thing and trade deadline is looming, we don't think we can sign him. He's going to want too much money. I'll say this. I am paying Chikrin before I'm paying Thomas Shabbat. So if someone needs to be moved out for cap reasons or to improve on the team, I am moving Shabbat all day long. What do you think? Well, that's that's what's got me wondering here. Is is this what is the what's the motivation here? Uh, if in fact it's true that he, maybe he doesn't want to stick around, if the motivation is simply the results aren't there, that's fixable. And, and you know, a good conversation with the with the young man and and from management is where the team's going, what the plans are, and then actually see some improvement on the ice and the, and some points on the board, then maybe it just washes away. But if, but if it's more about, more about, I don't want to be in Ottawa or I don't want to be with this organization, or maybe it's, I don't want to be with these players, then that's a totally different kettle of fish there. And that's something that you really can't change. And that's what's more concerning to me is that, you know, what is the motivation for this? And then when you look at it from the Sens point of view, if Jacob Chikrin doesn't want to be here long term, then the value you're going to get for him won't be any higher than it is like this season because somebody trades for him. They're getting two playoff runs out of him 
you know, they'll get this year and they'll get next year before he's a free agent. So the time to trade him, if you're going to, is probably, uh, you know, within the next month or two. Dave Pula and Steve Steos, I'm a big fan of them as hockey men, uh, the way they treat people. It's all good, but what we don't know is are they able to construct a roster? And, and we know how tricky that is. We just saw the last rebuild. The rebuild is flawed, but the rebuild is filled with really, really interesting pieces that for whatever reason, you can debate that all day long, whether it's coaching, goaltending, defensive zone cover, it might be everything, it might be death by a thousand cuts, but we've seen firsthand here in Ottawa that you can put together some really sizzling, exciting, amazing pieces, but sometimes those puzzle pieces don't fit. What I want to know now, and, I, and I've got my fingers crossed, and every Senator fan does, do these guys possess the ability to be kind of uh, these great chefs and put the right amount of ingredients into the Stanley Cup recipe, I guess. Yeah, that's you've got to be careful, and fans have to understand as well that, you know what, the next couple trades this team makes, and even if they make a big one that involves a one of the core superstar, highly paid guys, even if one mm-hmm. of those guys gets moved out, you can't be judging that trade on on skill level out and skill level in. It's going to be a different type of player that that comes into this group if there's any trades made. It's not going to be stud for stud. Like if one of these guys gets moved, it's going to be more of a package of of maybe two or maybe three guys who are of a different ilk, who bring a different thing, different mix, different ingredients to the big puzzle in the end. And I think you need to prepare yourself, Sens fans, for – what you think is going to look like, oh, my God, did we get robbed on that trade? Just be prepared for uh, you know, a really good player in your mind, a superstar stud, point-producing guy, getting moved out for somebody who's not that type of player. Just be prepared. What's your evaluation of the first, what has it been, 10 months of Jacob Chikrin? He was acquired at the deadline last year. Have you been satisfied? If you're a Sens fan, are you satisfied with what you've seen out of Jacob Chikrin. I've generally been a fan, but I also don't mistake him for right now a Norris Trophy candidate. He's uh, you know, he's he's a top 20 scorer in NHL defenseman right now. He's 19th. But if you look at the last 10 games, that looks like maybe a guy who's sort of slid into a discouraged place because the stats have kind of dried up in the last 10 games. I think he only has one point. But what's been your overall assessment of Jacob Chikrin? Has he been worth everything that the Sens gave up for him? Oh boy. Well, I, I, first of all, I think it's unfair if we're going to judge him on what I'm about to say <laughs> because of the, the, the staff and the, the supporting cast around him. I, I've been disappointed in him defensively, quite frankly, Steve, in the D zone. I think he's a, he's a shoot it away guy. He's a throw it up the wall and hope for the best guy. He's a whack and hack and just clear it and get it out of here. He's not necessarily a grab a puck, keep possession of the puck, find an option, make a play the way that you see a, a Sanderson play the game. So I've been disappointed in him defensively. Uh, offensively, I, I think he's been great. Um, I, I, I think he's, he adds to the room. I think he brings a level of, there's a, there's a little bit, there's more grittiness to him than I thought there was. I, I thought there was a part of me that thought he may have been a little soft. And that might be just from looking at injuries and things over the years, but he's got a lot more grit and a lot more uh, angst in his game than I thought he had. So uh, I, overall, he's not a one-two, 
I think he's a perfect guy in your second pair and he's a perfect guy on your second power play unit or could be the one-time option on your first power play unit. Uh, I don't know that he kills penalties all that well, but I'm, I'm okay with the trade. Like we all wanted it. We all wanted to see it happen. It happened. He's here and I think he fits in and he's a good second pair guy. What what do you, what are you thinking? How are you seeing it? Yeah, I think um, I have some of the same concerns, but I think overall, um, you know, I think I, I like the character of the player. Um, offensively, like you said, uh, he's been very good, like, you know, better than Jake Sanderson, you know, Sanderson still got some growth. Year, yeah. He's he's still not, uh, hit the ceiling obviously, but offensively it's, you know, he's, he's got like a five or six point lead on Sanderson and, uh, and, and I think way beyond where Shabbat is. I think if you have to choose again between Chikrin and Shabbat, there's no contest for me, but you know, there, there've been some warts on his game. The thing that, and you make good points with, you know, the defensive side of things, maybe not making the slick play, uh, an outlet pass to help break the team out as much as maybe he might otherwise. But the reality is it's really hard to to judge the way this team has played yeah. because, you know, if you if you don't trust that your guys are going to be in the right place or make the right read uh, or pick up the right guy in defensive zone coverage, it becomes a gong show. So you start doing other people's jobs. Like you saw it like as an example in the Colorado game, you saw Brady Kachuk and Ridley Gregg both fly up to meet, I don't know who the point man was on the right side, on the right wing uh, for Colorado, but they both went up to try and get that guy, and now a guy's wide open, and he rolls in and scores. I think that's just a, you know, if you get into a situation where you have no trust in your teammates doing the right thing, you're going to start doing things like smacking that glassing out when in doubt glassing out uh or you're going to uh run around a little bit in your own zone and i know there'll be people who are thomas shabbat fans and say well why don't you cut shabbat the same kind of slack the inherent issue i have with shabbat is just this total absence of urgency in his game when he gets in watch this watch this the next game you see whenever you're listening to this watch the next game where Shabbat's involved in something, whether it's a quick battle for a puck or he makes a makes a nice pass, watch his next eight, nine, ten seconds, and his feet don't move at all. It's like, I've done my job. I'm going to stand here now and eat some popcorn and be a spectator. Like the lack of urgency of that guy has been ongoing for me. I know a lot of people will say, you know, you love that guy. How, how dare you say it? That's just my feeling on it. And that's the, that's why Shabbat is sort of accepted from the take I have about, you know, this team is a hard one to judge right now. The individuals on this team, because nobody's, if, if people aren't doing the right thing, nobody, you know, all, we've talked about it for well, how long this podcast has been going on. <laughs> if, if one person falls out of where he should be in D zone coverage, all is lost. If one guy's not doing his job, then it all falls apart. Yeah. Uh, and and we did, we did sort of preface this with, uh, it's unfair to judge some of these players due to the collection of talent that they've been forced to play with the, right. the lack of commitment and the lack of, of understanding of defensive zone coverage by the collective group affects your perception and your evaluation of, of the entire indiv- every individual within the entire group. So it's, it's just tough. It's so hard to get a read. That's why I keep cautioning 
certain players, you, you don't want to be trading some guys out of here who get somewhere, get into the right system, and suddenly they take off the way they should have taken off. Like they meet the expectations and original evaluation that centers had when they drafted or acquired this player to trade. Whoever it is, when they ship somebody out and he gets into the right situation and becomes what he's supposed to be, then we're going to be pulling our hair out going, oh God, we did it again. You know, another stupid trade, another bad trade. But the problem is you need time to to properly evaluate and you need some type of sign from the group that they can play the right way so that we can evaluate them properly. And that's just not happening. As long as they keep blowing leads, as long as they keep losing games, as long as they keep having five and 10 minute stretches where they look like they're peewees, it just, it makes it so difficult. That's the frustrating part for fans and podcasters alike. Right. And one last thing on Chikrin though. When you measure out all those reports and rumors that came out today that maybe he's not happy about Ottawa anymore. Um, remember that Faces article that I mentioned earlier in the program? A lot of that was about his love of Ottawa and being here, you know, dream come true stuff, all that. And that was in the November, December issue. It's interesting that he posted that very article today on his Instagram. So maybe doing a little message sending to everybody that it's all good. So Mad Sogard comes up uh, with the injury to Anton Forsberg. It was kind of interesting because there were two days off between games between San Jose and Colorado. And Corpus Allo is fully healthy. This is their, you know, one of their crown jewels of the uh, of the summer. They bring him in and, and sign him to a five-year deal with $20 million. And there's two days off. Anton Forsberg's injured. Corpus Allo's healthy. And Jacques Martin opted to go with the kid. He talked about okay, Corpus Allo doesn't have a very good record against Colorado in the past. That's why I did it. He he, he brought that up. And I was like, mm, not buying it. He's only played, I looked up the stats, he's only played seven games against Colorado in his career, which goes back nine years now. And so seven games in nine years. I don't think, for example, Jerome McGinley was going to be too big an issue for Corpus Allo if he played in that game. What I think Jacques Martin was doing was softening the blow to his veteran He's basically saying, I haven't been happy with you, so I'm going to see, and we talked about this in a recent episode too, maybe we can catch fire here with on the back of a six foot seven goalie. Maybe the kid can come up from the minors, Hamburglar style, and get us going here. I think that was what that was all about. What about you? And in the yes, I, that's exactly what it was. It was a it was a shake up. Let's let's make a change. Uh and as Jacques was quoted as saying that he I think the kid gives us the best chance to win which could really be taken the wrong way if you're Corpus Allo, if you didn't get all the other parts about it that went into the decision-making. But in the end, didn't he just look like, you know, goaltender X played for Ottawa, made some good saves, looked good for stretches, gave up two or three absolutely bad goals. Like, it's just, it, it's so predictable. Every time, like, the game, the Colorado game was so predictable. They scored a goal. Okay, pay attention, folks. Pay attention. Before they finish announcing, the announcer is still reading out the scoring play of Ottawa's goal. Colorado scores. It happened on both of Colorado's first two goals. Every time they score a goal, just wait, just wait, give it a minute and a half. They'll give one up, you know, and and at the third period up four, three, don't worry. They'll they'll find a way. They're going to lose this game. Don't worry. They're going to blow this. It just, it's so predictable. It's getting irritating. Yeah. It's a, it's all, I, I, it seems like this has been an ongoing thing with, they have a little bit of success. 
whether it's within the season, whether it's within the game. And it's like they get way ahead of themselves. It's almost like it's party time. Let's go pad our stats or it's, um, you know, we're a dynasty now because we've had this little bit of success. Yeah. It's just, and, and, and you think they'll, you know, how much abuse, how many losses do you have to go through before you get it through your head that, okay, you got a four, two lead. You know, now is the time to get even more serious about defense, continue to play your game, continue to attack, continue to do the things you've been doing to this point. But it seems like, okay, let's, uh, let's cheat a little bit. Maybe we can get a couple more points here or something. I, I, I'm only guessing, I'm only speculating, but it's an ongoing issue for sure that this team, uh, you know, in the early part of the season, we talked about second periods, second yeah. periods were dreadful. Now it seems to be third periods, but the bottom line is that, um, that this team just can't put team, teams away right now. And uh, it's almost like they're waiting for the shoe to drop. They're waiting for the calamity mm-hmm. to hit. Within each game they play, there are four or five things. There might even be more. Oh, let, let's see how many we can come up with. In every game that the Ottawa Senators play, no. they will give up a goal within a minute or two of scoring a goal. That's pretty much guaranteed. How many times they game, put the fourth line on too? Uh, yeah. Ugh. In every game the Ottawa Senators play, at least one or two forwards will take a stupid penalty 200 feet from their own net that was unnecessary, and they won't be able to kill it. In every game that the Ottawa Senators play, there will be at least two, if not three, or maybe more power plays that are absolute. That power play for the last two minutes was atrocious. In every game the Ottawa Senators play, there will be at least one, if not two, if not three goals allowed by by the goaltender where oh, he's going to want that one back, (laughs) right? And there'll be at least one goal where it's an absolute fire drill in their own zone. There'll be at least one of those goals. Um, There'll be at least two or three two-on-ones given up because they're asleep on a bad line change, right? Like there's so many of these things that you can get at what the joke is, right? It's your bingo card. Get out your bingo card of things that's going to happen in this game, and we could come up with six or seven that you know are going to happen every single game. I wonder, do you have those etched out on tablets as the <laughs> sends commandments or something? That was that was great <laughs> uh, because there's a, there's a lot of truth in there for sure, and uh, I expect it. And, and I missed a few. Yeah, for sure. Uh, we we should uh, we should get them again etched on a tablet, and you know I, I can see thunder strikes and everything like that. Um, all right, moving on. Yeah, it's a positive vision. No, I just had a vision of uh, Mel Brooks. He's coming down the mountain. All right, I give you these fifteen. Oops, uh, these these ten commandments. <laughs> right, he dropped one of them. Right, yeah, yeah. yeah. Was that uh, Mel Brooks' History of the World? Oh, yeah, that's, that sounds right. Yeah, yeah that sounds sorry. right. Uh, there happens some- clip. <laughs> yeah. I'll, no, I can't. I don't have time today. But uh, so it'll be just assume, you know, what. Anyway, uh, <laughs> okay, let's uh, now let me try to segue into the next subject here now. Um, and that is a bit of positivity and that Ridley Gregg has looked very, very good in a top six role. He's played several games in a row now, at least three, I think, with uh, Kachuk and Giroux. And he's over a point a game since he's been paired with those guys. That trio, even in the collapse against Colorado, falling seven to four, that trio still put together eight points, and that ain't bad. And it's not just a you know Ridley Gregg going to the net and you know better players bouncing pucks in off his ankle or something like that. Ridley Gregg is contributing right now, and it's going to be really interesting when Josh Norris gets healthy. Still not back in the lineup, wasn't practicing, uh, and Shane Pinto 
His, uh, he's two games away now from being eligible to return on the 21st against the Flyers. It's going to be really interesting to see how the center ice position plays out, but Greg has been definitely uh, a nice, positive, bright spot for a team that needs one. Yeah, thrilled. Isn't it? It's wonderful to see. You know, uh, this is, uh, think back to Jacques Martin's first time here in Ottawa, and and one of his favorite sayings was, you know, it's just, somebody else is going to have to step up. You know, there was an injury. Somebody else is going to have to show that they can take that spot. And and the Senators historically have, have seen this happen. I think back to the times when, when Chris Kelly got elevated and, and put up some decent stats when uh, uh, Smith, why can't I think of his first name? Smith for who? For Ottawa? No. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. What was his name? Got got promoted. The centerman who went off to Chicago and got placed on. Oh, the Zach Smith. Zach Smith. When Zach Smith got promoted for like two or three weeks, right? It turned into yep. a huge contract that he should, never should have got. But because of injuries, he got promoted and stepped up and did a great job. You know, I look at this. this goals. Is, yeah, this is another guy who has been given an opportunity and. In a perfect world, I still think he's a middle six guy. I still think he's in a perfect world. I think he's a, he's a second line winger or he's a third line center. And if he can step up, if that's what you can get out of this guy playing up there, imagine if the guys who are up there normally and who should be up there could actually produce like this, right? Like that. It's only because Josh Norris is out. If Josh Norris was producing like he should be, like a true number one center, and you had a true second line with Stutzla centering that line, and you got Ridley Gregg and Shane Pinto playing on the third line, like wow, it's 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 Pierre Dorian's uh, whiteboard roster that he drew up five years ago. It's there, it is. It's here now. It's finally arrived. I'm sure you're saying Gre- Greg is a better player than Zach Smith, though. Oh yes. Okay. Uh, okay. Yes. Oh yes. He, uh, offensively, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So- definitely. But yeah, I just wanted to clarify that. But to with um, you know, with Ridley Gregg, I think even in this small sample size, I don't know if I could point out like the thirty or so games that, that Josh Norris has played this year. I don't know that Josh Norris has had a game where I was as impressed with him yeah. as I have been with the compete level of Ridley Gregg, just you know, just generating things and making stuff happen and being in the right places and going to dirty areas on the ice. I would say that I do have the same concern about him, though, as I do about Josh Norris, and that is staying healthy long term. I sometimes worry that, yeah, slight's a good word, um, that uh, that body might not be able to, might be trying to write ca- checks that they can't cash. <laughs> yeah. I, I, but that's the part that we love about Ridley Gregg. Yeah. Is that he, he does reckless. all those things, you know, it, it, that, that he plays on that, that edge, but and, and occasionally takes bad penalties, we might add. But that's the part of the game that you love that he brings. And it's it's strictly because of that that he's able to produce the stats that he's put up because he brings that to those to those two guys. It it Brady Kachuk is energized, more much more energized, differently energized, playing with a Ridley Gregg than he is playing with a Josh Norris. I think even Brady Kachuk might even slightly change his game when he plays with Josh Norris. Brady Kachuk turns more into the finisher guy. Like that, oh, I got the big hotshot playmaker with me now. I'm going to score some goals off of off of things here with Josh Norris. Or he's working even harder to feed a Josh Norris because Josh Norris could shoot the puck and score goals in a way that Ridley Gregg can't. So I think it it affects the type of game that you get out of out of Brady Kachuk when he's playing with Ridley Gregg versus playing with Josh Norris. All right. When we come back on the program, Tyler Ennis is retired. Huh? <laughs> I don't, I don't know if that'll make people stay through the commercial island or not, but uh, we'll talk a little bit about uh, Tyler Ennis, who had a, 
So he had two, three, he had two stops with the Sens, and uh, we'll talk a little bit about that. But uh, Howie Mooney is standing by as well. He's got uh, a brand new book out, a uh, good friend of ours from back in the day. And so uh, we'll give that book a plug and talk a little Sens with him coming up after these words. Ready to experience the power, performance, and innovation of a legendary vehicle? Look no further than the 2023 Ford F-150 at Jim K. Ford. We have incredible deals and financing options tailored just for you. Visit Jim K. Ford today and experience the thrill of driving the best-selling truck in Canada, the 2023 Ford F-150. Visit us at 1438 Uville Drive in Orleans or at jimkford.com. At Jim K. Ford Lincoln, we say yes! of Dunrobin Distilleries and Seven Seals Innovation. Less bite, more flavor was the goal when producing Beaver's Dram Premium Canadian Whiskey. Beaver's Dram is an incredibly smooth whiskey that's soft and warm, providing subtly sweet flavors of orange and dark chocolate. Premium Canadian Whiskey today at the LCBO or order online at DunrobinDistilleries.com. That is it for Tyler Ennis. Very diminutive forward. Certainly a very, very skilled guy. Lots and lots of skill, but uh, oh so small. And uh, had two stops with the Ottawa Senators. I think I think I remember most our, our third man in here on the podcast, Greg Batherson. When he was mic'd up one time, he was going around giving Tyler Ennis a really hard time for being old. He's like up, he's skating around at practice with the mic on, and we hear him say things like, uh, you know, is that the old Eastern synergy you got there, Tyler? <laughs> Stuff like that. But he had a really great sense of humor and so obviously still does, but uh, called it a career. He's been playing in Europe, but uh, terminated his contract for the purposes of retiring. And uh, I always thought he was, you know, he was fine. You had a few too many guys like Tyler Ennis when he was here. But, you know, if you're if he's a little more insulated, I never minded him on the third or fourth line. Yeah, very serviceable, dependable, reliable guy. I, I I don't know that I can think of any uh, major defensive liabilities in Tyler Ennis's game. Uh, a little bit of speed. He, he he had he had streaks here where he scored goals or got points. Where it's like, where'd that come from? You know, yeah. I, I I don't know that he got a did he get a hat trick one night. I can at least remember one, if not two, two goal nights where it's like, whoa, look, Tyler Ennis just scored twice tonight. You know, the, the guy produced and and served his uh, fit a role fit a role in his time here. One of the uh, plug-and-play fill-in guys that the uh, that Pierre Dorian brought in who actually was probably a good fit instead of some of the flops that he brought in over the years. I know Ennis would not have missed the two opportunities that Parker Kelly had against Colorado where the net was 80% open on both occasions and he couldn't he vary on another. One, yeah. Oh, just, I mean, I, I just feel like Parker Kelly is a perfect fourth liner, yeah. but you're an NHL player and that that happens way too often to Parker Kelly where there's a glorious scoring chance and he just can't finish it. There's a reason he's a fourth liner. I get that, but there are some opportunities where you, you occasionally have to bury something. And that was what Tyler Anderson, I feel confident, you know, when he got those types of opportunities, it was going to go in the net. Yeah. Parker Kelly's a little uh, too Swedish, not enough finish, as we say. Right. He's got yeah. hands like a clock. Uh, we're going to talk to an old friend of ours, Howie Mooney, who has uh, become a sports writer since the last time uh, we crossed paths. Howie and I, back in the day, we called Ottawa Lynx games on Rogers Television and what was then, I think, Oldies 1310. Uh, we're, well, the guys that were calling it when they won their 1995 
International League title, the Governor's Cup, and how he was down on the field uh, fielding F-bombs from the likes of Bert <laughs> Heffernan and such. So those are great old times from back in the day, and we're pleased to uh, reacquaint ourselves with Howie Mooney, who's got a brand new book out. Howie, how are you doing today? I'm great, Steve. Uh, it's great to see you and Greg. Uh, that F-bomb, by the way, that Bert threw out there, that was apparently the first time that had ever happened on 1310 in all of the okay. years that 1310 was was up. Yeah, and 1310 just died this year. I know, I know. Right out of the blue. Never saw it come. Station. Yeah, terrible. Just terrible. Yeah, should have seen it coming after the F-bomb. That's what, that was the eventual, <laughs> that was what began the downslide. Yeah. I was, I was going to say you should have seen it coming when they gave us a show, Steve. Right. That's a good point. Yeah. yeah. They're, uh, they're really slumming now is what it comes down to. Uh, the book is called More Crazy Days and Wild Nights. And, uh, well, appropriately enough, it's a follow-up on the, uh, on the book Crazy Days and Wild Nights, uh, the uh, first version of it. But before we talk about the book, this is the Sense Nation podcast. And I know you still follow them as an Ottawa native very closely, even uh, down in the Barrie area. But uh, do you have any solutions for us, Howie? Like what's going on with the Ottawa Senators right now, in your opinion? Well, I would like to see them play more more responsibly in their own end. I, I, I just watched them and I cringe. That game against San Jose the other night. Uh, San Jose on transition, Ottawa was gliding back and, and San Jose's coming back three on one. And I just, I, I, my son works down there uh, at the, at the arena. So I, uh, I, I, I was talking with him and we were both cringing at, uh, at their the defensive coverages. It's just, it just, when a goalie has to worry about three different things that the other team can do, the shooter, the other two guys coming down as well, it makes his job very difficult. And I see a lot of people talking about the goaltending uh to me they could fix their goaltending a lot by playing more responsibly in their own end yeah they're a bit of a tire fire they have been for years in their own zone oh, and I, oh. I, I think another part of the problem recently now i think is that there are people expecting okay we fired the coach you know we brought in our favorite we brought in the the man himself you know jacques martez here well it takes time it takes a long time you've got you got four years worth of bad habits built in some of those players under DJ, it's going to take a little longer than whatever they're at now, 12, 13 games. It's going to take some time. I was listening to a former Senators player. He was on one of the sports stations here and uh, he was talking about, they have to get, they have to get a shakeup. They have to start either benching guys or trading guys. And uh, uh, the ones he was talking about, they have a, they have a load of centers and they have a load uh, of defensemen. Uh, and uh, uh, Steve, I know that you've been talking about, uh, trading Shabbat. And I, I agree. I, I think he's the guy that, that, uh, which would, would wake up some of the guys on that team. And, uh, I was, I was looking at Twitter today and the people were surmising or suggesting that Shabbat's contract is untradeable, but I, I disagree. I, I think that his contract fits in to a lot of teams, uh, pay structures. Uh, I think it would fit in fairly easily and fairly comfortably. Yeah, certainly with the cap going up, that would eat up. Yes. I don't know, there's four or five million of it. I think it's going to four or five million next year. So, um, yeah, certainly next year. And and who knows with Chikrin, uh, I saw some dialogue online today that maybe Chikrin isn't all that excited about staying in his hometown, which would be awfully disappointing, I think, for Sens fans from the perspective of here's a, a local guy and uh, that everybody thought he'd be the top four guy. And it's, I guess, uh, like we were talking about, you know, it could be another Alex DeBrinkett sort of 2.0. But I want to talk about the book, though, because we'll get into that a little later on. 
But uh, this is 2.0 for you as far as the book goes. And uh, let's talk about your journey to becoming an author. Uh, how did the first book do? And uh, what's the, the early feedback you're getting on the second? Uh, I've been, the feedback I've been getting on the second has been, has been very, very positive. I've been really pleased, uh, with, uh, what, what people are saying to me and what, uh, what people are, are writing to me. Uh, we had a, a, a nice little, uh, event at, uh, Domain Pedro Winery in Navin to, uh, for a, a signing event in December. Uh, the people that, that came out, the weather wasn't great, but the people that came out were enthusiastic as well. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, I, like I've said to many people before, the the book, the both books contain a lot of stories that have uh, unforeseen and unplanned for events that happen. Uh, in the first book, there are three stories about uh, Ottawa, the Civic Center, uh, 1969, the uh, Wayne Mackey and Ted Green stick swinging event, uh, 72, the uh, London Knights uh, Good Friday Massacre, where, where uh, you know, it was just a debacle. They had Dave Hutchison playing for the Knights and they were, they, the 67s had a bunch of young defensemen on that team, but man, they just got the crap kicked out of them by the Knights <laughs> physically. I mean, literally just, there was one poor kid. He had left the team to focus on his studies back in December and uh, they called him back to the team uh, for the playoffs because Bill Long was the coach at the time and because they needed defensemen. They just, there were too many guys that were, that were injured. Dennis Potvin was out with a broken wrist. Uh, other guys were out as well. And they, this poor guy, Jeff, or Ray Antilla, sorry, Ray Antilla just hit four guys, just beating them and kicking them. And the, apparently the backup, there's a picture in one of the papers at the time and the goalie, the backup goalie looks like he's going to kick him. He denies it. I, I talked with Paul Sheard about that, about the game and that night and that series. And, uh, you know, he, he ran into the guy years later in the minors and that goalie denies kicking Ray Antilla in the face. But you, you, there was a picture the next day in the paper in the Ottawa Journal and the poor guy, the, just the, the picture of him in the hospital bed, just, just awful. That certainly goes with the name of the book, right? Crazy Days, Wild yes. Nights. That sounds like some, some pretty wild nights right there. Greg, Well, the other one, the other one was the uh, Ken Lensman kicking Jeff Geiger in the face. And all those three stories are in the, in the first book. Right. Uh, I remember Crazy that Days one. and Wild Nights. Yes. But, but, but well, tell us, Howie, uh, lots of people walk around and say, hey, you know, that would make a good book or I should write some of this stuff or I should try to make a book. Like, how, how does that come about? Do you, do, what came first? Somebody say, hey, Howie, why don't you try writing a book? Or did you write something and then try to go find a publisher? Well, there's a guy in Ottawa named Steve Warren who uh, put out a call for writers for SensNationHockey.com. Yes. And, uh, that guy. That, yeah. that guy. And, and, and so I, I sent him a note and I said, Steve, do you want me to write something for you? And you can take a look at it and tell me if it's good enough. And, and Steve was so nice. And he said, uh, uh, how you don't have to audition for me. Just write stuff and we'll put it up. And, and uh, funnily enough, uh, they got some eyeballs. And about a month later, uh, I got contacted by a website in Toronto and they said, we, they said, we see what you're doing in Ottawa. We'd like you to write for us. And what that allowed me to do was, was to expand my, my, my subject matter. I could write on anything and, and I'm a sports history guy. Uh, so I started writing about sports history and uh, for this website in Toronto and, uh, they were happy with, with, uh, the, the numbers that, that it was generating for them. And, uh, but I, I wasn't getting paid. So, uh, I decided to, uh, to put the book out because, uh, you know, the numbers and people, people's comments were, were so nice 
that I thought, you know, maybe I could put a book out. And uh, so I started uh, putting manuscript together and I wasn't getting any traction and I, I uh, tweak it and take stories out and put other stories in. And, and then finally uh, I spoke with uh, Danny Gallagher, who's a guy who used to work in Ottawa. He wrote uh, for the Ottawa journal among other, uh, other papers. He covered the expos for, for years and years and years. He's got, I think, 10 or 11 books out on the expos. And uh, I, I, Danny's a, a good friend and he, he kind of talked me through everybody and everything that I should, uh, that I should be doing and that I should be talking to. And he introduced me to a woman named Donna Deering and uh, Donna uh, basically uh, took my work, my manuscript, the, the one that the, the final one that I had. And, and she said, yeah, we got a book. We got to, we can do a book out of this. So um, they were, two people who, who helped me a lot. And Steve Warren, I mean, I have to say thanks to Steve as well for, for, for allowing me to, to write for, for his website, uh, to get everything started, getting the ball rolling. Should have got you under contract. I blew that. One. I blew that one. <laughs> With the massive amounts of money I'm throwing around. Yeah. No, you made the website better uh, for sure at uh, sensnationhockey.com and it's still rolling along today. Uh, as is, by the way, the hockey news, thn.com slash Ottawa as an aside. Uh, sorry to do a plug in, in the middle of the interview here, but uh, let's talk about some of the neat stories that are in the book. Like, uh, you know, you mentioned a few off the top. Um, one of the ones you brought to my attention was uh, like kind of a mutual fr- friend, and that's the longtime Ottawa 67s trainer, Brian Pataffi. And I got to know him through the TSN 1200 days. He was actually really close with my co-host, uh, Tim Kilpatrick, better known to the listeners at the time as Buzz, who, who passed away in about 2008, I think it was. And uh they had a great relationship and, and, and Buzz was like, he talked about him like a big brother and uh, Pataf just, Pataf just a salt of the earth kind of guy. In fact, when Buzz's funeral occurred, I think it was, it was Pataf, me and stuntman Stu that made the journey all the way down from uh, Ottawa down to London and uh, a lovely service for sure. But uh, Pataf had story after story after story and he's parlayed that now into stand-up comedy, but you got some great stories about Brian Patafi, uh in the book as it relates to, uh, the old Montreal Canadiens and a, a pretty big pop star in the day. Well, the uh, the final chapter in uh, in the second book is about people who passed away. There was a small window of time in 2022 where we lost like Randy Boyd and Clark Gillies and Mike Bossy and Guy Lafleur. And uh, in the in the part where I'm remembering Guy Lafleur, uh, I remembered a story that that uh, Brian had told me. When I had him on my show, on the Sports Lunatics show, uh, I think in 2022, and he uh, he's, has so many stories. And you know, you always know, uh, you know, if people say, you know, if you want the real stories, go talk to the trainers. Well, mm-hmm. Brian Pataffi was a trainer for 44 years at every level of hockey, junior hockey, Europe, uh, the minors, the NHL. He, he has so many incredible stories, but he was telling me a story where, he was working for the Canadians uh, in 81, I think, or 82. Maybe maybe it was a little later. But uh, anyway, uh, he's walking under the stands at the Forum. Uh, he's got his golf shirt on that has the, the Canadians logo on it. And uh, this guy comes up to him with it, one of the triangular pennants. And it's, you know, it's uh, Phil Collins. And he says, can you get Mr. Lafleur to sign this? And uh, Pataf looks at him and he says, uh, yeah, you're Phil Collins. He says, yeah, can you get Mr. Lafleur to sign this? And he says, uh, I can do that. What are you doing here? And the, the, this, the arena was being set up for a Robert Plant concert that night. 
And so the players were going to get, get dressed and then get in the bus, go to the, go to Verdun at the time and, and have their practice. And, uh, so, uh, he's, Brian says to him, yeah, yeah, give, give it to me. I'll, I'll, I'll go and he goes into the dressing room. And, uh, he says to, uh, Lafleur, he says, uh, Hey flower, uh, Phil Collins is out there and he wants you to sign uh, this for him. And, and Guy Lafleur says, oh, but tough. you know, and he says, no, seriously, he's out there. He wants you to sign this thing. So he says, show me. So the way Brian tells the story, you know, uh, Lafleur puts on his, his shorts, his workout shorts for the first time all year. Uh, and, and, uh, <laughs> Goes out into the into the hallway and uh, and uh, Pataf in, introduces him to Phil Collins and Collins brings them into his dressing room and there's all this food on the on the table and so Brian's sitting there eating a sandwich while these two guys act like they're they just met their idols and uh, he says am I in, am I in heaven or what and uh, uh, so that's how I close the uh, the book love it with that love story it. oh yeah you you two Hab fans would really love it too right. <laughs> Long time, you young childhood have fan people. Sickening. There's a there's a, a chapter in the book, uh, the third chapter in the new in the second book. It's uh, it's about the the 1977 draft. Was it 77? Yes, yeah, 77, I believe. Uh, Rick Green. I got it right here. But uh, <laughs> it's about the yeah the 77 draft and how Mike Bossy fell to number yes, 15. 15. And one of the one of the players that was drafted ahead of him was John Anderson by the Leafs. And John Anderson was a, a decent player. Uh, he wasn't Mike Bossy, but he was a decent player. And a buddy of mine sent me a picture. Uh, he had just eaten at John Anderson's Burgers, which are, I think there's three, three locations still in Toronto. And so he, he sent that to me and it, it made me think, what? You know, I, I looked in the book again just to make sure I had the facts straight. <laughs> well, that's fantastic. That's great. Um, now, a couple other things we want to talk about. Let's give a plug to the book for starters, as we as we have been. But where can people get more Crazy Days and Wild Nights by Howie Mooney? They can get both books uh, on Amazon. If you've got Prime, uh, the book will be at your place tomorrow or the next day. Uh, you know, it's uh, uh, and I believe I believe the first book they've got it discounted right now, so you can get it at a really good price. Excellent. <laughs> And before we go, uh, and, and best of luck with the book, but we, uh, we also wanted to talk a little bit about uh, something that's been um, kind of a, a cause of yours, really, uh, and that is the Ottawa Sports Hall of Fame. Building for where City Hall is for a long, long time. Um, and I took my son there a few years ago. He was, he was a lot younger then. I just wanted to show him some of Ottawa's sports history. And, uh, I found out from, uh, one of our mutual friends, Bernie Podvin this week or last week that, um, they are going to be, uh, moving out of there and they're going to be making the hall of fame, uh, online. It's going to be a virtual hall of fame. And, and that kind of distressed me. Uh, and I, my hope is that, you know, touch wood that somehow, uh, they'll be able to find a bricks and mortar, uh, location for the Ottawa Sports Hall of Fame because I think it deserves to have uh, a location where people can go to and actually see all of the artifacts and, and the you know the things from sports past in Ottawa. I think Ottawa's got a rich sporting history and uh, I, I just I'd hate to see it, see it just be a virtual presence. I'd like to see it be an actual tangible presence as well. We need to come up with a way to make that happen. Right, like, like surely, surely the Ottawa Senators, uh, the the Red Black slash Rough Riders history, even the links that we joked about earlier in the show, these are uh, 
professional sports teams, but all the amateur sport teams, surely to God, there's enough of them in this town, uh, historically speaking. And there's probably societies of, uh, of, of, of retired players and, and graduates and et cetera, et cetera, that we could find some groups to get behind this and, and help make this happen. Do you guys remember when it used to be in the uh, Civic Center? It, would, yeah. it was just kind of uh, pictures on the wall. Yeah, in the corridor. I mean, even that's better than nothing. Even even yeah. something like that would be better than nothing. But I I just to, to have it be virtual, that's okay. But I'd I'd rather have it be a place where you know you could see Russ Jackson's helmet. You could see uh you know all of the 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 things that people D- Dennis Potvin's sixty sevens jersey. You know all this stuff, all of the things that uh, that we used to take for granted. Kind of uh, I'd like to see those see them have a location again. Mm-hmm. Hockey coach in there, Greg, huh? How about that? Okay. How about yeah. that? No, no he's, they're holding out. I'm holding out for the Lebanese Hockey Hall of Fame, Steve. Nice. Nice. Yeah, I like your it. chances. I like your chances. Yeah. I'm, I'm one of the front runners so far. Uh, Howie Mooney is joining us today, and uh, his book is called More Crazy Days and Wild Nights, a follow-up to uh, Crazy Days and Wild Nights, and we wish you best of luck with, uh, with book number two, and uh, keep selling them, and it's great to catch up with you. We'll talk to you again soon down the line. Thanks, Howie. Thanks. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Greg. It's great to see both you guys. Yeah. Great to see you, Howie. Say hi to all the family, huh? Will do. Thanks. And uh, you can pick up his book. And uh, once again, um, it is called More Crazy Days and Wild Nights, and it's available on Amazon. Check that out. Really haven't. That's the first time like we we worked together, uh, and so I guess we're we're 29 years now since the uh, last Ottawa Lynx game that we called together, which was the championship. And I have not talked to him face to face. And I mean, I know we're not in the same room and everything, but it's been all Twitter or or uh, emails and things like that. So it's great to catch up with him. So thank you again to Howie, Greg. Enjoy your day, and thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for being with us. SendsNationHockey.com is the website, and we'll talk to you next time. Thanks, Greg. Thanks, Steve. A Ford Sends Nation podcast. Subscribe and review. Share the show with your friends and followers or become a member on Patreon. SendsNationHockey.com